everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hello! I can't stop long, I've got to go back to hell. Oh, just having a little visit. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, given that Things going to plan. This episode should be coming out on Halloween itself. I thought we should pick something a bit spooky to cover. Maybe a little bit demonic. I mean, it is horrific. It certainly is. And more importantly, I forgot that we hadn't talked about Hellboy 2 yet. So, (laughs) this week we're beholding Spawn. Oh... Yeah, that's. I know sometimes on these shows we try to be a bit coy about what we felt about the film until we get to the discussion. This was bad. Listeners, I tried to dissuade him from this selection. I said, Is that the one with the creepy witch clown in? And he said, Yes. And yet we went ahead anyway. Because that sounds like delightful, trashy fun. I should have done full disclosure and told you I'd already seen it at least once. You should have. You should have tackled me to the ground and, like, bound my hands behind my back so that I couldn't, like, press play. Unless I actually was the leader of an hell army, that's really difficult to do over an internet connection. Yeah, and that's why we watched Spawn, the 1997 film. I mean, I I feel a disservice to the very craft of cinema itself to say directed by Mark A.Z. Dippey and written by Alan B. McElroy. But there we have it. I, I looked at the director's other works. And it's basically a litany of um, adaptations of comic strips from the daily newspapers. Yeah. But is it after this he went to doing, like, direct-to-DVD Garfield films? Yeah. (laughs) Which is where he belongs. So yeah, this is based on the image character created by Todd McFarlane. And that's why I was excited to watch it the first time round. I'd seen some Spawn comics in comic shops and they looked really cool. Yeah, I, I have a big soft Spawn. Because he's basically just the most 90s thing. Yeah. Like, he's a demon from hell. And he's also like got machine guns and he's covered in spikes and chains and he's got a big cloak that just like goes foobity, foobity, foobity everywhere he's like he's like ghost rider on crystal meth yeah he is like ghost rider with just a hint of inspiration and by a hint i mean just on the very like, cusp of legally acceptable inspiration <laughs> from venom <laughs> because of course B 
before Todd McFarlane made Spawn, he did a lot of work on Spider-Man. Yes. But yeah, it was just... It's, it's one of those things where even at the time it just seemed so different to other comics. Yeah. Just like dark and grungy and just such a good sense of style. Indeed. Yeah, there was also, which I feel like a lot of people forgot about, a really good animated series from 1998. Which unfortunately, because it was just the year after, got massively overshadowed by this film. Uh... And again, is a thing we could have talked about instead of this. Yes. Oh, and actually, tying back into uh, something we mentioned on the last episode, guess who voiced Spawn in that? Go on. Keith David. Oh. It already sounds better than this movie. How many episodes are there of that animated series? I'll say not a lot. I think only like 12. Wait there. I mean, it'll be about six hours. I'm assuming they're half-hour episodes. Oh, right. You're just going to watch the entirety of the series now. But if we're podcasting about Spawn, I might as well podcast about decent Spawn. No. I made our bed, and now we need to lie in it. I think that's giving. I think that's giving our listeners um, a, a distorted view of our working relationship. There. <laughs> no, no, it, it's fine. It's time thing you with it, like just like Batman and Robin in those old comic <laughs> strips. We, we just sleep in the same bed. We're the more common wise of comic book comic yes. book <laughs> Ernie. <laughs> anyway, final fun fact about Spawn. There is a reboot film starring Jamie Foxx, which ironically enough is currently stuck in development hell. Yeah, hasn't that been in there since about 2008? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's basically been in the works since this came out was a big uh, yeah, I, I, I think the original idea for the reboot was intended originally as a sort of sequel soft reboot wasn't it to this film yeah I think it's shifted about a lot in the decades yeah I think mainly because people involved kept watching this film and trying to distance themselves politely away from it yeah. Yeah, like I feel like the idea was originally they were going to do like uh, the Suicide Squad, where they just take all the elements that work from the first film and put them in the second one. And then they realized that there were no elements that work in this film. <laughs> yes. Anyway, shall I do a synopsis? Oh. Go on. Okay. I mean, d- dare I even say spoilers? Can can one Martin surely didn't need the money. <laughs> oh my Sheen. Assuming he got any money. <laughs> I 
I mean, they must have, right? <laughs> like, if even just some kind of, like, lawsuit for emotional abuse suffered. Just from the knowledge that you were in the film Spawn. I mean, credit to him as an actor. And um, by the way, also, second episode on the bounce that we've had a Mass Effect link. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, all the, all the elusive man. Yeah. Got <laughs> Anderson and the elusive man. <laughs> Michael J. White's not been in a Mass Effect, has he? No, I, I kept thinking, what do I know Michael J. White from? Yeah, I think he was Bronze Tiger in Arrow, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just, he's he's been in bits and pieces. Yeah. He's, he's a man who's good at doing kicks. Yes. Anyway, synopsize away. Right, so... And the best of bally luck to you. CIA assassin Al Simmons, played by Michael Jai White. Was it Jai, Jay? Look, I'm... there's going to be no consistency in how I pronounce names. We, we know that by now. Listen, if you mispronounce his name and people don't know who he is, in connection to this movie, he'll probably thank you for it. Actually, yeah, maybe for legal reasons we just have to refer to everyone as Actor X. <laughs> so It's too oh, late, late, I've already name-checked him out in <laughs> Oh, God, we'll be hearing from his lawyers. So, Al Simmons begins to have doubts about his job after innocent civilians are killed on a mission. And by that, I mean innocent civilians apart from the ones he just happily guns down at the airport. So, Al confronts his boss, Jason Wynn, played by Martin Sheen, and says that he's going to quit after one last mission to destroy the Heat-16 virus. Uh, because apparently Jason putting out cigarettes in a bowl full of scorpions doesn't tip Al off that he's evil. So, Jason and assassin Jessica Priest, played by Melinda Clark, betray Al and burn him to death, stealing the Heat 16 for themselves. And God, could you imagine if that was the end of the film? <laughs> so, Al is sent to hell, where he meets one of its rulers, Malabolgia, played by Frank Welker, Megatron himself. Uh, the demon offers Al a bargain. If he will agree to lead the armies of Hell's spawn, Malaborgia will allow him to return to Earth to visit his fiancée Wanda, played by Teresa Randall. Al agrees and is resurrected, but finds that he's been dead for five years and that Wanda is now married to his best friend Terry, played by D.B. Sweeney, and that they have a daughter together. Uh, he is also followed around by the demonic clown, played by uh, John Luigi. Uh, boy, this is this is going to be a big one. I, I might need a sip of water. Drum roll, please. Clown, played by John Leguizamo. Close enough, probably. <laughs> that, Luigi, it's Luigi from the Mario Brothers movie. 
<laughs> so it's he's... a stellar cast. <laughs> I, mean, apart I, mean... Martin... I mean, apart from Marty Sheen, it's a veritable who's that of Hollywood, isn't it? Some of them have been in better things. Luigi was in John Wick. <laughs> anyway, Clown is there to push Alan to killing Wynn and releasing the Heat 16, bringing about Armageddon. Uh, finding that he can summon a superpowered suit of ectoplasmic armor, not a symbiote. Spawn... Absolutely not. Spawn attacks Wynn at a party. He's able to kill Jessica, but Wynn escapes. He's then manipulated by Clown into getting a pacemaker implanted. It will set off the Heat 16 if he dies. When I mean, not, not Spawn. So, realising that he's being manipulated, Spawn confronts Clown, who transforms into the monstrous Violator and beats him up, before going to kill Wanda. Uh, Al is rescued by Cogliostro, played by Nicole Williamson, a fellow Hellspawn who teaches him how to use his powers. Spawn confronts Jason and Violator at his old house, Violator tricks Al into thinking Wynn has killed Wanda to go with Al into killing him, but he refuses. Uh, with Cogliostro's help, Spawn then kills Violator and cue the loud techno music. See, Mick, the, the trick to synopsizing Spawn is realising that 90% of the film doesn't matter. Ain't that the truth? I mean, really 100% of the film doesn't matter, but Story-wise. Um, in many ways, it is a classic example of 90s comic book cinema. You mean it's bad? I mean, there's an over-reliance on CGI that's not capable of realising the world you're trying to create. Tick. For very big Tick. There's an incredibly attractive yet evil rival assassin clad in leather. Yeah, clad in just, just the most preposterous leather outfits. Yes. Um, but she she is incredibly attractive. She's got the most amazing eyes and is completely almost completely superfluous to the plot yeah as, as always with this characters her two characteristics are sexy and evil yeah um we've got an a-lister villain surrounded by an army of unforgettable uh, of sorry completely forgettable lieutenants and henchmen. Yep. And we've got a man who's doing what he does for the love of a woman. Tick! Yeah. God, it, it really does hit all those tropes, doesn't it? Yeah. Badly. Yeah. Like, especially... I feel like the biggest downside of doing this as a podcast is is that I don't think there's any way for us to accurately describe just how bad the CGI in this film is. Let me try. 
one of the things one of the things that most terrified me when the last when the last models of the last console generation came out the xbox one x and the xbox um one s came out was that at about the same time they announced the release of a high definition edition of minecraft i thought why do you need a high definition version of a game that is famous for its highly pixelated look the cgi in spawn looks like they've come out with an 8-bit version of minecraft and then put the graphics in a blender does especially like anything set in hell oh man it's it's that typical it the problem is that this is a professional i'm believe using the term loosely i'm using it in its loosest term of people got paid to move make this movie right so it's a professionally produced movie and it looks like a film student's first day in the green screen studio before someone's told them that the angles need to match and the lighting needs to match and the actors need to not be wearing green in front of the green screen. God, it really is. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's that combined as well with like just the loudness of every, like just all the music and the explosions, and this is this is an aggressively unpleasant film to watch. So some films are an assault on the senses. This one's an insult on the senses. It really is. Like I don't know. Have you seen a film called Uncut Gems? No. Because basically that film. It's like set in a New York jewellery store. And the idea is it's supposed to make you feel like you're in the store. So it's just constant, like, very bright lights, sort of loud honking and screeching for, like, the streets outside. Right. And it's basically... They've managed to do the same thing, but entirely by accident. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's 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 loud, it's garish, it makes no sense. No, no, it does not. Like, I, I'm very confused as to what Malibu Hookie and Clown's plan is supposed to be. Isn't it to just defeat the forces of heaven that we don't actually see? Yeah, but they need to go through this elaborate rigmarole with, like, win and get him to kill Al so that then Al can kill him so that he can lead the armies of hell. Is it, also... this, thing, is it this thing that you... I think it's mentioned in things like Good Omens uh, and other sort of... Isn't it something to do with the rules of engagement between heaven and hell? In that the two sides can't bring around the destruction of humanity directly. 
it has to be humanity that destroys itself. And all they can do is sit on the sidelines and sort of cajole and nudge and put agents in place. I mean, I guess... Or am I giving it far too much credit? I don't think you're giving it too much credit. Because <laughs> it's also, I don't understand, why do they want, like, Al as Spawn to be the leader of the army? Because isn't his whole thing that, like, he's the hitman with a conscience? Yeah. Like, well, why would you not just be like, hey, Jason, that priest lady, she's pretty evil. Kill her and we'll have her lead the army of hell. Yeah. Because with her, you'd just be like, hey, want to blow up the world? You'd be like, hell yeah, I want to blow up the world. Yeah. And I'll start with him. Yeah. Actually, she probably have already blown up the world by the time you can finish asking her if she wants to do it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's oh, sinister thin plots. It is. Also, George completely forgotten. Just the way every scene transitions with like a weird like Microsoft PowerPoint star wipe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, the thing is, and again, second time. Second, second episode on the trot. I'm going to use a computer game allegory. There's the famously glitchy Saints Row series did a game set in hell, leaned into the glitchiness of the previous titles and managed to realise hell better than this, where they've realised hell presumably on purpose to look like that. I mean, at the very least, they made it look like this. And someone watched it and said, yes, this is acceptable for general audiences. <laughs> I mean, you have to think, in a world where this saw a, a general release, how bad must the Batgirl movie be? God, yeah. Yeah, God, they, they let this come out and not Batgirl. Yeah. Film producers need to be stopped, Mick. They do. They do. <laughs> yeah. Also, back to the CGI. Do you know what I think makes it even worse for me? Well. And this is, brace yourself, because I'm about to give this film a compliment. I feel like the practical effects are fairly decent. That That is where it it's let down. Um, the practical effects are decent. When you get the close-up shots of the spawn outfit, the spawn armour, they're brilliant. And I believe that's where Dippe sort of wanted to follow the path. He, he, that's how he got into filmmaking, was he saw practical effects like that being done, and then he went off to study computer graphics and all the rest of it. Um I think he should have finished his studies in computer graphics before trying to do this. Yeah, maybe, maybe more maybe than just the a one day. 
<laughs> but the, the, the thing is, I, I remember the technology um, that will have been used to make this. It, it's very evidently being done on a video toaster using an Amiga um, hardware system. If you look at some of the swirling tunnel effects as they tran uh, transition through to hell, it's very similar to some of the spaceship effects in Babylon 5 and some of the effects that you see in early episodes of Star Trek Next Gen, all of which were done on Amigas and video toasters. It's got a very distinctive look to it. But there were people in their bedrooms doing better effects than that for demos on the Amiga at the time. Well, not just at the time, but five years previously doing better effects than that. Yeah, God, it's just, it's that typical Hollywood thing, isn't it? Of, right, we've got this new technology. We don't know how to use it, but it should be in everything now. Yes. I mean, it is. I think Spawn is one of those superheroes where the 90s, although that was the time that the comic was out, the 90s wasn't the time to realise it on the big screen. Yeah, because like that does need to be very special effects intensive. Yeah. Like, especially Spawn's cloak. I, I don't know how you would... If you want to do it properly, that does need to be CGI. Yeah. But it needs to be today's CGI, not... Yes. Not, not then's CGI. Yeah. Or indeed, five years prior to then's CGI. Yes, 1992's finest. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's annoying that we've kind of touched on that. Because uh, Dippe apparently wasn't the first choice to direct it. Like, apparently, uh, the original director was supposed to be Alex Proyas who directed both The Crow and Dark City, which are two films that I like a lot and have the exact yeah. like look that you want from Spawn. Yeah. Well, he probably saw the budget for special effects and said, I can't do it for that. Yeah, because surely the budget for this film must have been about £2.50. Maybe £3 for the chains. Yeah, oh, the chains with their little goobly faces. <laughs> shall we talk about the elephant in the room? Or shall we call it the clown in the room? Oh, you, look, with the way this film went, I was worried for a second there was an elephant in there and I'd just forgotten about it. <laughs> that was the mount for the leader of the armies of hell. Um... Oh, the clown. I mean, there's over-the-top scenery chewing. There's Hasselhoff in Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then there's this clown. Yeah, this is... I mean, first things first, this is a bad adaptation of the comic book character clown slash violator. Because, mm -hmm. like, the whole thing in the comics is that he's, like, very creepy. And in this, he is not that. No, he's basically evil Homer Simpson. Yeah, he is. he's just the wacky comedy sidekick. Yeah. 
I was like, I'm not even sure if it's that his lines aren't funny or if it's just the fact that it's just this constant ongoing, I'm going to say a quip and then another quip and then another quip and another quip. And now I'm going to fart. Skid mark gag. Oh, oh, boy, that's that classic 90s humour that we've all missed. Yeah. Uh, this superhero movie has been brought to you by the scriptwriters of Beavis and Butthead. It's, it's exactly Beavis and Butthead style comedy, isn't it? Yeah. Also, a lot of it doesn't seem to be jokes so much as just saying things. Saying things that may or may not have rude connotations to make the 13-year-olds at the back of the auditorium that have snuck in behind the usher's back snigger. Remember that one bit where he dresses up as a cheerleader? Mm. I liked that that bit was so bad that Malaborgi had to pull him back into hell. Yeah. It, it's, oh. If you're going to have a villain like that, he's got to be Pennywise levels of creepy. Or he's got to be Beetlejuice levels of disgusting. Yeah, he can't I guess... be a half-assed version of either. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess what they were trying to go for was the idea that he comes across as harmless, and then it's a big surprise when he turns into the big scary monster. But like, Except it's not that big a surprise because we get that uh, interminable dialogue at the beginning, prologue at the beginning, telling us that he's evil. And yeah, that's that's another thing, isn't it? That we've watched movies before that are not subtle. And, but I love I'm... how Cogliostro just explains like the plot and everyone's motivations. And I'll be honest, there were bits of me that were thinking. Is he basically saying into every generation there is born a slayer? It was quite Buffy, wasn't it? <laughs> but Buffy came out the same year and had better production values on a TV budget. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bye. Why was Cogliostro? Why most things? I mean, yeah. first of all, Howard Wynn managed to put together this secret bit of the CIA without anyone else in the CIA noticing that he was squiddling away his own agents. I mean, maybe they did notice they just liked his initiative. <laughs> or maybe they just liked the fact that, finally, there's someone in the CIA who makes us look good by comparison. <laughs> he also didn't seem at all phased by the fact that the person pulling his strings and that he was making a deal with was like, a demon clown. Yeah. The most yeah. he ever referenced to his 
Ally's appearance was that he was a bit fat. Yeah, it's also, he seems very trusting of, like, Clown, even though he's literally a demon from hell. Yeah. Also, can, can we talk about my elephant in the room? Okay. What is Martin Sheen doing with his voice? Well, that's a very good question, isn't it? Maybe. When did the room come out? That is a good question. Let's find out. I'm just wondering if he was uh, using oh. this as a sort of backdoor audition for the Tommy Wazzo role. Nope, 2003. Oh, right. Okay. Not that then. The only thing I can think is that, because obviously this came out three years after The Crow and kind of obviously from all the design this is trying very hard to be The Crow without The Crow's budget. Maybe they just looked at Michael Wincott with his ridiculous like 40 packs a day deep throaty voice and said Martin Sheen yeah just do that. <laughs> Which he absolutely cannot do. No. Because they'll start off in scenes being like, oh no, Spawn guy, he's a, he's a real problem. And then just like, as the scene goes on, he just gradually forgets more and more that he's supposed to be doing a deep voice. Yeah. And then he's some, of, some of the scenes where he's at, his life is actually under threat, he seems to go a little bit falsetto as well. Just do it. Maybe, maybe he's trying to show that he's got range. Maybe he's auditioning for that Batman movie that remains unmade where Batman has a fight sequence and the Joker kicks him in the nads. I'm Batman. You're maybe. Joker! <laughs> I mean, just anything to get out of being in Spawn. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that was it. Maybe he recorded the lines like that in the hope that the director will fire him. Oh, it's a bit of the old weaponized incompetence. Yeah. Well, you tried your best, Martin Sheen. <laughs> Unlike everyone else in this film. Oh. So, we've got oh. horrible 90s techno music. Horrible 90s CGI badly executed. It's not even a good plan badly executed, is it? It's just a terrible plan badly executed. We've got some passable physical effects. We've got some scenery, edible scenery acting going on. Yeah. Well, what we do have as well is some good old-fashioned racism. Yes. So... In the comics, Al's best friend Terry is uh, is black. He's like African-American. Uh, but they changed it to a white guy in the film because executives, and this is a direct quote, didn't want too many black leads. 
Can you imagine if they said that today? I mean, they probably do. I mean, can you imagine if they openly said that today? Oh, yeah. Like on their Twitter feed or something. Yeah, that's... Well, Twitter's good for something, at least, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, this film is just so... Again, I feel like the main thing is just the individual parts are bad, but just the, like the cumulative effect of it all is just the worst thing. Yeah, this is not this is not bad in the way that Howard the Duck is bad, where it's shooting high and just falls short. This seems to be aiming for mediocre and not just falling short, but actually failing to take off in the first place. Yeah, it's like I feel like Palmer Bain just can't even comprehend how bad it is. <laughs> like I I watched this a few days ago and already I can barely remember it. Indeed. Like it, it just like sloughs out my brain. Yeah. Um Oh, just a second. Yeah, we'll, we'll be getting to it soon. I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, okay. It's just uh, Jared there seeing how, how if Morbius had lifted up the list. Oh, is he is he rubbing his horrible, like, elongated back claws? I'm not going to lie, he's inflating party balloons. I want to say he's maybe being presumptuous, but he might be in with a good shout. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that probably does bring us on to our list of movies going from A History of Violence at number one. Yeah, I don't think course. we need to include that one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you don't trouble your pretty little head, History of Violence. Morbius at number 43, though. Because I think, I think for all its flaws and disappointments, at least some of the people involved in the production of Mobius knew how to do their jobs. They maybe didn't do them very well, but they were competent at them. I mean, for for all the for all the mist effects don't make any sense. They were good mist effects. In comparison to the hell effects on Spawn. And not even in a way where you turn around and say, yeah, but the films were like 25 years apart. It's not. You can do do good stuff with alt tech. Yes, because we're essentially talking about a modern film whose CGI looks about five years out of date. Yeah. Versus an older film who even by the standards of the time, the CGI is about a decade out from what it should be. Yeah. And it's also... Well, Morbius at least wasn't, like, physically uncomfortable to watch. No. It was just a bad film. Yeah. 
it did like grab me by the face and just keep punching and punching. Yeah. So, are we are we gonna do it? I th- I think we have to. I mean, just so you know, right? Round at Jared's place at the moment, but Ang Lee, George Lucas, whoever David it was Hasselhoff. that was involved with thirty, the the entire cast of Thirty Days of Night, and Hasselhoff. The Hoff is up on the table dancing already. Oh, don't forget Halle Berry. And Halle Berry, yeah, she's in. She's brought Sharon Stone along as a surprise guest as well. But yeah, I I think they've done it. I think the day would never come. Ironically, it. ironically, because it's a costume party, Janet's turned up in his Joker outfit. Oh, I'm sure he had that on regardless. <laughs> but no, we did it. We found a film worse than Morbius. <laughs> and it's taken us a relatively long... Uh, it's taken us a relatively short amount of time to do that when you consider when Morbius came out. Yeah, it's... I was expecting like years and years. I mean, I was basically expecting for the entire run of the show, our top and bottom were going to be unchanging. Yeah. But God help us, then we found Spawn. Mm. I mean, to be fair, it has left the top un- unscathed. Yes. Yes, it's just even more number one than it was before is a history of violence. Indeedy. But yeah, there, there we have it. Morbius is staying at 43. Spawn, wow. you are the new 44. You are the Nadir. <laughs> you are the you are the uh, low standard by which all of the comic book adaptations will be judged. Do you think this? Do you think? Do you think the legacy of Spawn is why Todd McFarlane's moved into doing figures now? Maybe. Also, money probably. Yeah. Yeah, because the royalties from the Spawn movie can't be great. (laughs) Even as a creator. (laughs) And it's image, so he'd get a better cut than he would if it was a Marvel movie. I think this is the first time when he just said, actually, no, I don't think I will have any royalties. (laughs) No, I don't want to be associated with my work here. And on that day, Todd McFarlane realised what it's like to be Alan Moore. (laughs) Right, can we pick a good thing next time? I don't know if that's even possible. Can we pick a better thing next time? 
Oh, definitely. That must be possible. Yeah. I, I think it would be very hard to not pick something better than this. <laughs> spawn two. Please, that's not a spawn two. There was never going to be a spawn two. Anyway, I, th I think that about does it for us. I think it does. So, if you'd like to listen to more, you can find all episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Mick. I'm incredibly disappointed. So long and thanks for listening.